Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we are reviewing the newest Marvel movie, Spider-Man, Far From Home. This is your spoiler warning for Far From Home and Marvel movies in general. This is Matt and I'm joined by my co-host Noah. Hey there. So Noah, why don't you um, lead us off with your general thoughts and then we'll take a, uh, a deep dive into the movie. I, I really loved it. I had a lot of fun. It was sort of, uh, it was a movie I'd been looking forward to just because I love a Spider-Man movie. You know, I, I love it in any form. The, uh, you can definitely tell this movie may have had a, a lot of trouble behind the scenes because there, there are definite scenes in the movie where you could tell they either didn't have a finished script because they were waiting for maybe stuff from Endgame mm-hmm. or they were just sort of trying to like had to backtrack once Endgame came back and had to re-in, like edit stuff in and things like that. But you can tell the the stuff that takes place between MJ and Peter and Ned and Betty and all that stuff and even some of the other twists with Mysterio were always planned out to be there um, along with a lot of the European stuff. Like that stuff, all the care that went into that sort of overshadows the stuff that's trying to tie into the universe at large, which is probably the sloppiest I've ever seen in a movie, but at the same time, it, again, it's sort of overshadowed by everything else that's really great about this film. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I feel like you had, uh, you almost had like two movies here. You had the sort yeah. of coming of age, sort of high school uh, kids finding themselves, and you had the you had the Marvel Universe at large. And um, I felt like this, movie was an interesting perspective this was almost like the first time we saw what it was like to be like a normal person like in the marvel universe right yeah um you know these are these are kids that are just sort of on a school trip and get caught up in all of this uh mayhem and and destruction so no no i really i really i really enjoyed it at all i I mean i really enjoyed it a lot so yeah this this movie really raised the stakes and brought the marvel universe back hasn't been in a while mm-hmm. with the uh, sort of uh, from civilians POV of what things are going on. Yeah. Um, Cause like, you know, that that's something that used to be a staple of superhero films, but the last Marvel universes have sort of drifted away from the civilian point of view to mainly just focus on the superheroes and not so much sort of why the superheroes are fighting. So yeah, it was really great to have characters that you cared about being armed at the end of the movie, you know. Okay. So did you have any, um, uh, did you have any like parts that were, were your favorites that, uh, or parts that stood out to you? Oh, definitely the parts with Mysterio bending reality that mm-hmm. culminating in Spider-Man just using his spider sense in the end. And uh, that, that, that moment at the end where he realizes just to use his spider sense, and he closes his eyes and all the sound, like the music in the background cuts out and it's just the sound effects of him smashing the drones. Yeah. Even at a part, it's just him breaking through the illusion. That part was probably my favorite. But I also love that sequence where he realizes Mysterio is evil and Mysterio just keeps bending and like folding reality upon reality in that, in that one scene. Uh, that was probably the most ingenious action sequence I've seen in the Marvel film since like Doctor Strange. Um, but what are your favorite scenes? Um, you know, I, I I did enjoy those as well. Um, I, I I like uh, I like Peter um, sort of 
discovering, um, you know, the, the, the Stark tech and, and making some, uh, making some missteps with, with, uh, coming into control of that. So, um, those are probably my, 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 my favorite parts. Uh, Tom Holland does a uh, awesome job as, uh, as Peter. Um, so I, I just sort of enjoy, and I, you know, the, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of funny moments that they did with, uh, you know, explaining the, the, the blip, um, the people coming back, you know, some of the kids, there's a little bit, some, some of the stuff is off because some of the kids are older. Some of the kids didn't age, um, uh, you know, but, uh, and also like, uh, Aunt May is like, uh, sort of her charity is like dealing with the logistics of, um, you know, these people were gone for five years and now they, they blip back and like, you know, your infrastructure is not ready to go, you know, uh, housing's not ready to go. So like that, I thought all, all of that was, was, was pretty clever. Yeah. That was a pretty ingenious move on the story part. Uh, I really liked that. And like you said earlier, it's, it's a great way to sort of establish the real world in these big events, uh, sort of the consequences of certain things. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious to have, uh, to uh, make jokes, like at this point, like it's, it was so, it's been so serious, the, you know, the snap and stuff like that and everybody disappearing. And then after everybody comes back, it's, it's sort of a lighter take on that where, you know, where it's like, yeah, you have some kids that stay the same age, but then you have Brad, uh, who was a gangly 13 year old when they left and now he's like the hunky athlete. Yeah in the school that's stealing all the girls. Um, also, I love the, the teacher's story about how his wife pretended to be snapped away just so she could leave him. Yeah, that was <laughs> it's so, so dark, but it's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a, it was a hilarious, uh, it was, it was interesting to see them. Yeah. Like show the real world consequences, but also sort of like sort of treated as it is. And that's sort of like, you know, it's, it's a, it was an, uh, an event to sell like, you know, blockbuster movie tickets that kind of thing you know and uh it was good it was a very it was a cool moment to have that be a part of the story okay um, so let's let's yeah. uh let's switch to parts that maybe uh weren't so great or parts that uh didn't work uh work for you yeah like i said uh you can definitely tell this movie was being made as it went at certain points you know um one thing to always look for are shots from in dialogue scenes, how much of it is shots from behind, you know? Most particularly there's a scene where Spider-Man and Mysterio are talking on the bridge and they're hanging off. A large chunk of that conversation is a behind shot where you don't see their mouths moving. So okay. clearly it was done after the fact and like very, like poor ADR is always sort of something that sticks out for me in movies. So there are certain scenes where like you could tell they're like, were making things and learning things about Endgame as they were going, or like they may have not had a finished script or they were running out of time with filming. Um, there are other like insert shots where I could just tell them like, oh, they had nothing to put there, you know, that kind of stuff. And there are other scenes too where you can tell, uh, we, we talk about this on the podcast a lot. Like one of our biggest pet peeves is on, in all these Marvel films, everyone's taking off their masks all the time. Mm-hmm when they're not taking off their masks, you can tell like uh, there was something going on behind the scenes, that kind of thing. So it really sticks out to me when Spider-Man is talking to Nick Fury 
and everyone else and he's not taking his mask off where in every other scene that's so you're like oh obviously tom holland wasn't there on that day that kind of thing and they were just had the stand-in guy to give the lines um and i also don't like the uh the sloppy exposition dump um when you find out mysterio is uh is the bad guy and he just like monologues his whole plan like a incredibles villain cliche um but yeah what about you what did you think about what did you not like about it okay so it's gonna my 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 biggest gripe is gonna relate to just before the mysterio monologue um they were just sitting in the bar in costume like i was like i'm like i'm like what what is peter doing here he's, he's yeah exactly he's, he's he he was so concerned with being found out um uh you know the the conclusions that would be made uh you know on the washington trip he he disappeared spider-man showed up he, he keeps disappearing on this trip when spider-man uh shows up somebody's going to put something together um but yet he's he's sitting having a lemonade Mysterio's having a beer Mysterio's in full uniform or, I'm sorry full costume other than the other than the fishbowl helmet you know he's got the he's got the ridiculous cape on he's he's and and and, and Peter's in the in the black suit uh, you know and they they've just they've just fought an elemental so like they're they're totally not hiding their identity at all there and I know yeah. that like it doesn't really i guess it it, it does, once you get the reveal that it's a simulation and all those people are you know employees of of mysterio you know they were they were going to find out anyways but they were just they were just putting it out on front street who they were they were like we're we're, we're sitting down we're relaxed and we're, we're we're still in uniform and and we're gonna we're gonna have a beer and a lemonade so i was just like what what is going on here it was just yeah that stuck out to me too yeah it was a weird choice and maybe it was supposed to show how maybe peter lets his guard down around mysterio mm-hmm. um but at the same time it's just sort of a weird choice i mean again like in these movies where people are taking off their costumes and stuff like that so much, it sort of sticks out when they're not doing it in, you know, every other scene. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, we, we, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, let's talk about how, um, this ties into to previous Marvel movies and maybe sets up cause this was, this was sort of a, a bridge movie. Um, I know it's classified as the last of phase three, but it, it, to me, it really feels like a transition movie from, uh, or a bridge movie from, from three to four. Um, yeah. So uh, why don't you, why don't you talk about some of the tie-ins that you liked and maybe some ideas that you have that are coming up uh, with uh, phase four. Um, I liked, uh, you know, I, I definitely liked, uh, how, um, you know, I, I definitely like the, the scrolls thing at the end. That was probably my favorite tie-in to what everything else is going on. And we'll talk in depth about that later, but I think really that's my favorite. Um, I like the iron spider suit a lot more in this one than I have in the uh, previous two Avengers films. It seemed yeah. to work with it and didn't seem as animated, which I really like that. Um, so I like that continuation over from there. And uh, 
of course, I liked uh, all the stuff with Happy and um, Aunt May. And it's, it's, I also like Aunt May knowing that uh, Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that sort of adds something cool. Because we've seen, you know, before these films, I guess even Homecoming, you know, we've seen six movies where Aunt May doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man, you know? So it's cool to see it shaken up a bit, where she knows that he's Spider-Man. She's in full support, kind of like how Aunt May was in Spider-Verse, you know? Like, she's in full support of him being a superhero. So I like the continuation from that, from the first, how the first movie ended was her finding out that he's Spider-Man. And I like how they escalated that at the end of this film. Sort of continuing with that theme of people finding out that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree. Um, You know, the, the ties to the, during the movie, the tie, the ties to the Marvel universe are just sort of like, uh, you know, he's, he's seeing all those murals of, of, of Tony or, or Iron Man, wherever he's going. Yeah. Um, you, you kind of see how the world is, is, is dealing with it. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let's move into um, what we were talking about that. Cause I think we can have a, a, a lengthy discussion here. Yeah. Um, the end credits um, sequence, uh, Fury and Maria Hill are revealed to be Telos, and I'm assuming that's Telos's wife. Um, oh yeah, uh, as uh, that have been impersonating um, Fury and Hill for for this movie. Um, uh, I'll let you go for a little bit, but I think once you got to that point and you saw that reveal, that that explained a lot of how. Um, Fury was acting in the movie and how Hill were acting because they really like were acting strangely. And, yeah. Um, I had a theory before this that Fury was the chameleon um, working with you Mysterio. You were really close. Because um, he, he, he was, I just was like, Nick Fury is a man of mystery and, you know, international intrigue, but he's not going to walk around shooting high school kids in the neck with a, with a, with a, with a tranquilizer. So I almost had that right. But, but what do you think about the reveal here that Telos and his wife um, have, uh, have been uh, were for, well, and I think we're going to have another discussion after this, that the reveal that Fury and Hill were not in this movie. Yeah, I liked, um, I loved it, of course. I think it was a great twist and it made so much sense because I felt like uh, they were, like you said, sort of like wooden representations of who the characters were, mm-hmm. you know? Like it was sort of like an impersonation of what someone would think Fury is like. And I thought that was a great reveal in the end that that's basically what it was. Uh, and it, it fit with the overall themes of the movie where it's sort of about, you know, deception versus perception. And uh, I love that aspect of it, that it went a step further where the post credit scenes fit with the themes of the movie, where it was like, oh, yeah, that wasn't even real the whole time. Um, love that. Uh, loved uh, Love where this leads us to, where it's like, yeah, now there could be a whole event arranged around we don't know who anyone is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think we know, I think this movie, though, does confirm that the scrolls are still on humanity's side, though. So it may just be more of a fun thing than it is going to be a, like a paranoid thing. Yeah. So um, my, yeah. my, my, my wonder here now is so far the, the scrolls that we have been, that we have seen have been benevolent and peaceful. 
Uh, but I'm wondering if they ever wanted to do a secret invasion storyline that now you've seeded that there, there, are, there are scrolls hiding among us um, or hiding among the people of the, of the Marvel U. If you could have a, uh, a fraction that breaks away or um, a fraction of uh, scrolls that aren't as peaceful as Telos and his other, and that's how they, that's how they, that's how they bring uh, secret invasion in. Yeah, and um, they also brought up something else about Kree sleeper cells mm -hmm. in that one spot. So there could be something where Kree and uh, like Kree are using maybe brainwashed scrolls or something like that. You know, uh, kind of like they brainwashed Captain Marvel. You know, yeah. uh, maybe there's there's that there's that option where the the scrolls have certain aspects uh, that certain scrolls are working for Kree. Um, yeah, I liked, uh, I like where this leads. And then that also maybe leads to what Fury's doing is possibly, I mean, he was on sword base right at the end, pretty much. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's what it looked like. It looked like he was in that, yeah. uh, that, that long pyramid shaped sword, um, facility that we've seen in, in the comics. So, um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's, theorize on how long Fury might have been off planet. Um, so two things that I saw, and this was after the fact doing some research. Um, if you remember in Captain Marvel, he says, nobody calls me anything other than Fury. Right. And Hill calls him Nick a few times in the movie. And he also in Captain, Mar in Captain Marvel says that he doesn't like his toast cut diagonally oh, so, so something like that so, in there. so somebody went back in an age age of ultron he's making a sandwich and he cuts the bread diagonally <laughs> so there's this whole like timeline where people are trying to guess was was that really fury or was that was that Telos as 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 Fury. So there's some oh wow there's some theory out there that the as of age of age of Ultron that's been Telos impersonating Fury because of the diagonally cut bread. So and that makes sense actually because Fury is really out of character in that film and uh, he really hasn't had like and then Captain Marvel was sort of his next big role after that. Um, besides his post-credit scene in um, Infinity War, yeah, because if you think about it, you know, in, in the timeline, you know, he he would have had Avengers, and we that right. was that would have still been real Fury, right? And he would have seen, hey, you know, Earth is Earth is okay with with these with these guys here, um, and with my experience with Captain Marvel, and um, you know, knowing what's out there. I need to go off planet and address these issues and let Earth's mightiest heroes be Earth's mightiest heroes and, and take care of Earth. So that would kind of fit in with that school of thought that after like the first Avengers, he's like, I'm heading off planet. I'm going to, I'm going to be more proactive about threats uh, coming in from space. Yeah. And I think um, in, at the end of winter soldier, he basically leaves to sort of wander around you know mm -hmm. so it makes sense that like maybe even after winter soldier he's like i want to go 
do something else, you know, uh, uh, because like you see, Avengers have this, Captain America has this, that kind of thing. So I think the last time we saw him was in Kent, was in Winter Soldier. And even in that one, sort of, yeah, his purposes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the mid credit, um, uh, end scene where, um, Peter and MJ are swinging around, um, and they stop and, uh, and, you know, a news broadcast comes on and you know, the first part of the news broadcast is, uh, you know, pretty much a standard newscast. Um, uh, but, uh, Mysterio has manipulated some of the audio and some of the, uh, some of the video to make it look like Spider-Man killed him. Um, and then the news reporter says that they got the video from the daily bugle.com. And then you have J Jonah Jameson mm-hmm. it's sort of in his info wars, Alex Jones style, you know, yelling at the camera and he reveals to the world that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Um, so what do you think? Yeah. About, what do you think about that? I loved it. Um, I'm, I'm happy they didn't try to recast J. Jonah Jameson because J.J. Uh, J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson. Like he was the undoubtable, like you know, undoubtedly the best casting in the original movies. Um, and so yeah, I love that. Love that they brought him back. I love that again. I liked how again I loved how Homecoming ended you know like with Aunt May learning which is a huge thing for Spider-Man and then this is an even bigger thing is that the whole world knows that he's Peter Parker because if there's one superhero that like never should have his identity revealed because it's so important that it doesn't it's Spider-Man you know so where it goes from here is so great and uh you know what um What's cool is, is that uh, the director came out and said that he wants Craven the Hunter to be the next, uh, the next villain. And I think it would be really cool to see Craven be the villain that he has to go against when his, when he can't hide with, with his secret identity, you know, um, yeah. it's going to be really cool to see uh, what they're going to do with that. Okay. So let me ask you a question as far as Spider-Man villains go. Um, do you think Mysterio is dead or do you think he's, he's used another illusion to, to fake his death? Because I'm wondering if they, if they're going to do a sinister stick six movie that they need to. Alive. Hey, um, sorry. No, it's okay. My connection got. So let's uh, let's just kind of go back if we can. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, but I can hear you now. How about how about you? Can you hear me? Yeah, you you sound pretty good. All right, so okay. let's uh, let's have you go back a little bit and talk about the because I had just asked you if you thought um, Mysterio was was dead or if he had faked his death. Yeah, I think he's I think he's dead. I, I think the the last sort of his last thing though was maybe he programmed Edith 
to augment reality in that last part, but also you see the his uh, his sidekick, I guess, mm-hmm. grab the the data off of it. So he could have also been he could have also augmented it as well to be sort of the last stitch thing. Um, yeah, I think he's dead, and I think uh, I think the the other guy will assume Mysterio's identity if he ever comes back. So I think I think he's dead, and I think the other guy will come back. Either he'll be, yeah, he'll and he'll come back maybe in the form of Quentin Beck or something like that and disguise himself. Um, but I think Mister, I think Quentin Beck is dead. Yeah, and um, part of me wonders if this is just uh, Jake Gyllenhaal getting his his Marvel check, and now he's he's back to making some more you know indie uh, you know darker darker films. So. I, yeah, that, I could imagine it was in his contract to be killed off in this film. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's check out a couple of other possibilities. Um, so let me ask you a question here: uh, If Peter's uh, identity is out there and he's got problems with, uh, you know, villains coming after him, villains coming after May, villains coming after MJ. Uh, does he need to take recourse and go after the Daily Bugle for, for defamation? And mm. if he does, does he need a lawyer? I can see that. I've seen where you're going here. Yeah, because this, this reminds me of the Bendis series, right? When, uh, wasn't that a big reveal when, Suppose the Kingpin tells the world that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, or, or what? What was it? I can't remember. So that so, was a huge series, wasn't it? Well, so if I'm remembering correctly, um, it's uh, it's Karen Page who sells um, out Matt Murdock's uh, identity to the Kingpin, and the Kingpin then lets everybody know. Um, that but that's that's in that's in Born Again, yeah, the yeah. Page thing. But wasn't there something in the Bendis run where, like, then that continued into the Mark Wade run where he was still trying to prove to people that he wasn't Daredevil? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read any of the. I haven't read any of the Bendis Daredevil, so um, I, I I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm. But I would love to see Daredevil come into Spider Man. So that's probably going to lead to the other Marvel comics um, storyline. So in Civil War, the the first one, uh, the comic, uh, Peter um, goes along with Tony in the Registration Act and reveals himself to the world. And again, when he does that, all the villains are like... uh, you know, we know who he is. We know what his weakness is. It's his family. And they all go after May. They all go after MJ. Um, so Peter makes a deal with Mephisto to sort of mind wipe the world of that, that aspect of him revealing his identity. But to do that, he has to give up his um, relationship to MJ. So do you think that they would explore that um that storyline in in the movies no i think that storyline is too hated for them to do anything like that yeah Uh, it definitely it definitely is a uh it's unanimously hated i don't know anyone who likes that 
Yeah. So I, I would have to agree with you there. And I think, uh, I mean, they haven't really gone into any of the sort of the monster universe. So it would be very strange to have the very first sort of monster or, or demon like character be, be Mephisto. I, I, I don't know where they would start. Maybe, maybe with, maybe with a ghost rider that's not Nick Cage, but, um, right. Um, so, okay. I think they could reference that cause there, there've been rumors of secret wars being the next event. So the Beyonder could be that cosmic entity that alters reality and gives him that option uh, during an event or something like that. Because I think Spider-Man's importance is about to get become more significant in the Marvel Universe. They are sort of setting him up. Another tr- They were trying to say he's not the next Iron Man, but he is going to be sort of the, the Iron Man figure in these movies where he sort of ties it all together from here on out, I'm guessing. Yeah, I yeah, I I I agree. I agree with you there. I think they're they're setting them up. Um okay, so here's here's one of the last questions I have um for you. Ned Leeds, the, his friend. Ned Leeds eventually becomes the third hobgoblin in the comics. Do you think that they will they will have Ned become a, a villain? I think it's a yeah, I think so. I saw uh, one of, before John Schnepp passed away, he did a comic shopping with the actor who plays Ned. Mm -hmm. And he talked about him with that. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm really, the actor for that. Um, Is that, you know, so I I would love to see that be sort of the emotional climax of this series because at the heart of this, you know, sub-franchise in the Marvel Universe, it is Ned and, you know, uh, I think of, I think, yes, yeah, especially in Homecoming and in this film, and even they even reference it in Endgame and Infinity War, the closest person that Peter's to, the first person that he reveals a secret identity to, it's Ned, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, I think he's going to be sort of the Harry Osborn of this series, you know? Um, so yeah, I think so. But what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the sort of the 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 illusions that they're that they're making. It's not the same career. It's not the same sort of story pattern. But uh, Ned Leeds was married to Betty Bryant, um, and sort of that not going well was 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 part of the the reason why he became the the hobgoblin. So you know, uh, you have you know they were they were pre- the, not to the same extent of getting married, but they they had a relationship, and you don't know what's going to happen and third in any any future movies but i do think he's eventually going to become the hobgoblin because it's going to create a different sort of conflict for peter um you know he had the vulture um and then he had mysterio where he um you know started a friendship with and and really looked up to but it's it's really going to mess with him to to fight somebody that he's he's known for so long and has been close to for so long. So I do think that I do think that he'll eventually become the hobgoblin. Yeah. What, what's interesting uh, about all of these movies, homecoming and this film, there's always that Peter searching for a father figure, mm-hmm. both films. Uh, in the first movie, it was of course, Iron Man and that he was looking forward to be his, his father figure. And in the end, he is sort of the father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, of course, it turns out that uh, his his main villain is the father of the girl that he's a father figure searching for a thing. 
in the first film than the father being the enemy in the end, which is really cool, really cool story outline, really ingenious. And then this one is it's a similar thing. It, it's all from the same weakness where he's looking for a father figure. And uh, he doesn't find it, of course. You know, that's sort of his weakness is looking for a positive male role model. Then in the end, he realizes that happy is sort of that, you know, and happy does sort of become his, uh, his father figure. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's sort of the emotional core that they've set up as far as the past two movies. And that's my one seat of doubt where they won't go with Ned as being the emotional climactic conflict, you know? Um, and if they do, it might be handled poorly. So uh, I think I think they might keep it to Ned being sort of the the funny guy, you know, the funny comic relief character that comes in and doesn't really offer too much, you know, depth into the character. Um, he does a little bit in Homecoming, not as much in this film. Uh, but you know, either Ned, uh, you know, Ned could stay the comic relief uh, buddy, or he could become something more in the next couple of films. All I hope is that they just don't rush it. And, uh, you know, so that we really feel the emotion. And I think the relationship with Betty was more to reference certain things and also to be played for laughs in this one. And it was really funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That they fall in love over the plane and then break up um, like a mature adults over the plane ride back. is it, it made me laugh the hardest in the whole film. All right. So that's basically all the notes I had. Did you, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to discuss anymore? Um, I, like, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think, and maybe you know this, is there a storyline with Spider-Man where he closes his eyes or like blinds all his senses and just lets his spider sense go so that he can defeat an enemy? Or am I just imagining it? only thinking of that, like, cause that's a cliche, of course, a lot of, not a cliche, but that's a story beat. A lot of things hit. Um, and you know, where someone blinds themselves and just uses their other senses to take down a villain and stuff. But I want to say that's a, that, that isn't a comic, right? Or am I, am I just imagining it? Uh, I, that's not one that I can think of, uh, I can think of off of my head, but that became a very, like a uh, use the force moment in the, in yes. the movie. So, all right, so let's uh, let's do our let's do one of our sort of prediction rounds that we do. Um, who do you think the villain in the next movie is going to be? Craven. I I really think Craven. I think they were pushing for. Uh, I was thinking Dimitri was going to end up being Craven in this film. Like the guy was going mm -hmm. to be Craven, and I was going to be really excited. But there's uh, so. Craven might be more hopeful just because the director said that he wants Craven, but they may also go for uh, Scorpion, like they sort of set up in Homecoming, because everybody sort of assumed after Homecoming with Matt Gargan being uh, locked up with tombs that yeah. uh, going to be the next villain. So Scorpion could be the next one, but I'm hoping they still keep... I, I, I thought Matt being at the end of that and with Vulture was sort of setting up... Uh, a sinister six. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's sort of what they're doing is they're taking their time to get there and not rushing it. So I'm hoping it's Craven. And I, I think it's going to be Craven. That, that would, that would make sense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing uh, Norman Osborn. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, especially with Avengers Tower looking all business-like, there have been some theories that that's Oscorp bought out Avengers Tower. Yeah, I had heard that as well. And I don't know if they'd ever if they'd ever go into that sort of uh, that dark rain territory where they, uh, where Norman Osborn actually becomes sort of a, uh, uh, he's almost looked at as a, as a hero after, after secret invasion, even though he's got, you know, really terrible motives and right. uh, not to get political, but it would be very interesting what they would do with a, Norman Osborn sort of figure that's rises to power and is 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 not doing uh not doing uh things on the up and up uh, that that would be a very interesting commentary they could uh they could do on on the real world there but you got to think about Marvel here because even in their more like groundbreaking films like you know you want to look at something like Black Panther and stuff like that. And everybody's like, Oh, it's so progressive, but still it like, it plays it safe by having the like ultra white uh, American CIA agent being as important and the winning battle in the end as all the other African characters. And then you have something like Captain Marvel, which everybody was like, yeah, this is the girl power movie. But then, you know, you have the, the glory of the heroes are sort of split between Captain Marvel and two dudes. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, so that like they don't alienate any part of their audience whatsoever. So, I, yeah, I highly doubt that they're going to get political with with Norman Osborn, but it would be cool, it would be ballsy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine them being like them being that ballsy. Uh, so, yeah. all right. So I, I think uh, I think that's going to wrap up our uh, Far From Home uh, recap and uh, Marvel cinematic universe in, in general um if everybody could go on to itunes and give us a rating and review we'd really appreciate it um if you could go on to social media and give us a follow we're on twitter at construct compod we're on instagram at constructing comics pod and we are on facebook at facebook forward slash constructing comics uh, we also have a YouTube channel under the same name of Constructing Comics where we do creator spotlights and some more of our visually uh, heavy uh, shows there. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we'll be back with a- another episode very soon. Bye.